0: Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. And when you grab a seat, let's give great applause to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Aren't you so glad as we sang that song? I just was able to rest in the love of Jesus this morning. And just be reminded how much he loves us. I'm glad you are here. And yes, I made it back in spite of hope, moving my death clock up this last week. And uh, some of you maybe were wondering if I was going to make it. She kind of moved it up on me a little bit last week. And uh, I'm supposed to be in 2044, but she moved it up, you know, and it was supposed to happen then on Monday. And so I made it through Monday. I was walking just a little lightly, you know, on that day, just trying to treading lightly. But I'm here and you made it. Those of you that weren't here last week are like, what in the world is he talking about? Talking about a death clock, okay? You'll have to go listen last week online to hear what I'm talking about. We're continuing in a series, and so get your notes out, get your Bibles out with me this morning. Uh, you can go ahead and go with me to the, the Gospel of John this morning, and we are just doing this series called No Regrets. And I was really just encouraged this past week as we've really started just digging in on this series, just encouraged by so many of you who have said to me that you've been challenged by the premise of the series. And some of you have been wondering about what this series is about. Maybe you've missed the last few weeks. But what we've been doing is we've been asking the question that if we only had 30 days or a month or so left to live just one month, how would you intentionally live out that time? What would you do with the time that God has given you? Now, some of you have told me that... Uh, that 30 days just isn't enough, Bart. That's not enough. That's kind of freaking me out a little bit. If I'm thinking in terms of 30 days, I don't have enough time to wrap up some of the things that I need to wrap up. And then, therefore, I can't even enjoy the last 30 days. So I'm officially giving you a few more days, okay, to get some of those other things taken care of. But seriously... Whether it's whether it's 30 days or 30 years, what we're really wanting to do is to be certain that the time that God has given us, that we are making the most of this time in our relationship with God, we're making the most of this time in our relationship with one another. And so we've been asking, how would I approach life differently if I realize that there is an urgency to the time that God has given me? Are you really making the most of it? And it's really, it's a powerful thought. It's a sobering thought when you actually really entertain that thought that if my time were really drawing near, what would I do with this? How would I live my life out? How would I live the rest of these days that God's given me? And some of you told me this week that when you really kind of engaged that thought, some of you said you really got emotional. You got emotional about actually thinking in those terms, and some of you sent me emails this week just expressing, you know, the gratitude for actually being forced to think about these kinds of thoughts. Some of you have said that you've been a little more emotional this week uh, than maybe you have been, and it's something that's kind of, and that's really what we were hoping, is that it would just not that you'd be emotional, but that it would kind of just wake you up a little bit that it would jar you just a bit to consider what you're doing with these days that God's given you. And one of the things that, I, that I've tried to do is just to talk to as many of you as possible and just kind of survey you. And I really wanted to know, okay, and I've asked as many of you as I could, you know, in the whenever I was in a good place to do that, what you might do if you found out you had that amount of time left to live. What would be some things that would be on that list? And an overwhelming majority of you said it had nothing to do with skydiving or rocky mountain climbing, you said you certainly wouldn't ride a bull named Fu Manchu. The, o- the overwhelming amount of you, whenever I asked this question to you, and I was just kind of having conversations with you, the overwhelming amount of you said this, that it had everything to do with your relationships. I mean, everything drew back to what was going on in your relationships, The people that I talked to just said this, that if you recognize that time was your most precious commodity and that it's a limited commodity, that it's a limited kind of resource that you have, it all came back to your relationships. It all came back to, and this is what came up over and over again with those conversations I had. It came up to you being certain that you were spending the right amount of time with the loved ones that you had in your life around you. What does that tell us? That tells us this, that relationships are the most important things that happen in our lives. Amen? Are you guys with me today? Are you awake? That those relationships matter more than anything else. Now, I gave you this past week a little bit of life work. And at first I called it homework and I saw the looks on your faces, okay? So we said, we won't call it homework. We'll call it life work. And here's what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to go home And to take some time to really think through this question and to make a no regrets values list. In other words, to write down some of the things that mattered most in your life. I said, maybe when you're having your quiet time, you could really talk to God about this. And you begin to write down the things that mattered most. Because here's what this question does. If I only have this amount of time left to live, what am I going to do with it? What it really does is it helps you narrow your focus, right? I mean, it helps you kind of eliminate things that just really don't matter. And so let me ask you, how many of you, you did your life work this week and you wrote a list out? Would you be honest this morning in church? Okay, three of you did, two of you did. Okay, sometimes I really wish y'all just lie to me. Okay, I really do. It it would it would be helpful sometimes if you just lie, okay? You do it anyway, so you might as well do it here, all right, to help me out. Now, let me rephrase the question since many of you didn't do this or, or you're going to get around to it. How many of you thought it was such a great idea to do this that it's on your list this week to write out what matters most? How many of you you are thinking, now that's what I'm looking for right there? That you're actually going to take some time to, you say, why a list? What's the big deal with a list? Because the list provides Accountability. The list causes you to really think out and not just have this idea floating around. But now you've got something on paper that you're looking at that you can actually look at and say, am I really doing something about this? Okay, that's why the list is important. Besides that, when I ask that question, I don't look so dumb. Okay, and so thanks for, uh, and so I want you to work on that this week. I really do. I want you to take time to do this life work. And and it's not just to give you busy work because we talked about busyness last week. It's to cause you to intentionally think out what matters in my life. What really matters? Who matters in my life? And God, what do I need to really focus in on? And if you woke up with this mindset every single day of living like Danny sang at the beginning, like we sang last week, like, and what we're finding so many songs have this theme of actually living like you're dying, what would change in your life? How would things look differently? You know, here's what we know is you'd not only be intentional with what you're doing, but whom you're spending that time with. You'd want to be certain that you were spending it with, with these folks that mattered most in your life. And so we talked last week about living passionately. What I want to talk to you about today is this other theme of loving completely. I want to talk to you about what it means to love completely in our series memory verse. And I'm glad to see that we're getting this just kind of saturating us over and over again with this. But if we have that verse, can we put it back up on the screen? Here's what it says. And I want you to read it with me out loud again. Psalms 9012. All right. You did that great. And we're going to say that again at the end. Psalms nine twelve Say it with me. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalms 90, 12. There we go. So teach us to number our days that so we may get a heart of wisdom. Did you know that Moses wrote this? I and mean, it's in the book of Psalms, but, but this is a prayer that Moses had written out. And what Moses is saying, I love it. He's saying, God, teach us to make the most of our time so that we can have wisdom in pursuing what matters most. And when we're not actually thinking in these terms of actually realizing that that we have a limited commodity called time, we're living in foolishness. Wisdom is really focusing in. Here's another one. King David was another wise man who understood the urgency. So I'm wanting you to see today that there's a lot of wisdom in considering this thought of time being this limited resource king david said this in psalms 39 verses 4 through 6 and this is what he said he said lord and i want you to notice this word remind me notice that he says remind me which would indicate what we have a tendency to kind of forget about this and we just but he says lord remind me how brief my time on earth will be remind me that my days are numbered he says And how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. He's saying it's that short. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you compared to what God is like our entire lifetime, which can seem like a long time for us, but in the grand scheme of eternity, compared to God, it's a speck. I mean, it's just in comparison to how great and big God is. And then he says this about us. We are merely moving shadows. And just think of how the shadows kind of come and go. We're moving shadows. And and I want you to notice this. I like this. And all of our busy rushing, all of our busyness, and we said last week that you can be busy and that doesn't mean that it's better. You want to be sure that if you're busy, it's in the better things. Okay. Which the filter that we're trying to provide you with Our busy rushing ends in nothing. And so that was David's prayer. Moses prayed this prayer. David prayed this prayer. We spoke last week about James in the New Testament. Jesus' little brother, when he wrote about this, he said, What is your life? You're like a mist. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. Are you making the most of your time? We see that Paul says in the book of Ephesians to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And, and And what we find when we look at Jesus is that when it says when he made his turn for Jerusalem... You see that Jesus lived with laser focus and intentionality when he knew that his days were drawing near in living passionately, in loving completely, in doing these things that we're talking about. And so we see that this is the whole counsel of God, church. This isn't just us taking one obscure message or one obscure verse and saying, coming up with some catch, you know, catchy kind of phrase like, no regrets. The Bible is is really impressing upon us to consider how brief our time is. And to be sure that in light of that, we're not living in a morbid sense of that idea, but that in light of that, we are living life to the fullest. That we're doing everything we can to love everybody around us with everything within us. I'm trying to point out to you the perspective of the brevity and the Fragility of life is what we've been trying to show you. And there's this consistent theme. I shared with you uh, one of my values on my no regrets list. I shared with you last week my list that I kind of wrote out that God was kind of speaking to me about. And I wrote some things out. And one of mine on my list was to give my family my full attention. To give my family full attention because I say, and I shared this with you sometimes... You know I can be there, but I'm not there, and so they don't really get full attention. They just get partly, uh, uh, part of my intention, uh, attention, I should say. And so one of the things that we're really trying to be intentional about, and this is just us. I'm not saying you have to do this, but this is something that I kind of felt very, uh, very that this was important for us to do, is to as much as possible. And it's not possible every single night. But as much as possible, we are trying to sit down at the table together and have a meal together uh, in the evenings. Now, it doesn't happen every night. I'd be lying to you if I said that it did. Uh, I, I think this week, it was probably half of the week that we were able to do that. And one of the things that I really felt strongly about was being sure that the television was turned off. Because we need to talk to each other. And so we want to ask each other questions and not, you know, it doesn't have to be kind of a forced thing, but I decided this week what I would do with, with my wife, Hope, and with, with my kids this week is as we were sitting there at the table and we were having our meal together, that that, um, Randy had sent out these no regrets Bible studies that are going to all of our different life groups, I thought, you know, I'm called to be the pastor of my family. I thought, what if we just kind of looked at some of these questions and we just kind of talked about these questions as a family? And so we did not go through every single question. I did not torture my children with that for hours upon hours of Bible study. But I did just say, I want to ask you all some questions, okay? And you may not get these questions because you may not be in a life group that asks these questions, but I want to ask you these questions and I want us to think about them And so I picked out some key questions. And one of the ones that I found brought up the most interesting discussion with my family is if you found out that you only had a few days or a few weeks left to live, what would be some of your biggest regrets? And that was one of the questions that I asked even my kids. I said, what would you regret? What would you regret if you found this out about yourself? And I'm not trying to scare you, but what would you, would there be some things that you would regret? And, and, and so it was interesting. Both of my kids, both Luke and Trinity, both of them said, and their answer had something to do with their relationships. It had something to do with, uh, it was funny because Trinity said, daddy, I would be a little more, I'd be a little more merciful there had been an incident that had happened a little earlier, and that was just between us. And I won't say, say what it was, but God was teaching her mercy on that day. She said, I'd be a little more merciful. I'd be a little more merciful with people around me. I'd be a little more merciful with my brother. Okay? And, and Luke said something along the same lines. But it was interesting that when we asked about what they regretted, it was interesting that for even our kids, it came up relationships. And then hope spoke up and she said something about that she would regret. And it was also about a relationship. It was, it was something regarding relationships. And this week, one of the things that I did, I thought more about this. What would be some of my biggest regrets? This was a list that I made this past week, and 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 it, it really kind of came to me when I was running because I've shared with you that's a great prayer time for me now. Whenever I'm actually and, I, and God really speaks to me during that time, and I was running and I thought, what were some of the things that I really would regret or that I've regretted that that you know are in my life? And and the and one of the things, number one, this came up. Number one, first thing off the the cuff, just right off the bat, came up in my mind as I was jogging along there, was not being more intentional in. Really discipling my own children, that came up first thing for me. Okay, and and it was like, wow, whoa, whoa where would that come from? God really spoke to me very directly, and it was not being more intentional about discipling my children more. Okay, I disciple a lot of people, and I try to work with a lot of folks, but I felt like God was saying, be sure you're discipling your children. That was some regrets that I was getting. I was kind of feeling my son, Luke, is a junior in high school. He's about to be a senior soon. He's going to be moving on. And I'm like, wow, I have limited amount of time with him. Don't blow it, Bart. Okay? And uh, and so that was the first thing. Uh, the other thing was taking quality time away from my family, not really being there, uh, you know, with them completely in mind and emotion when I'm physically there. And I shared that a little bit with you last week. Sometimes it was because I was grappling with trying to please people that were unpleasing. Which, if I'm really honest, at certain points led me to battle some with some depression in my life as I struggled with that. And as I was kind of battling some of that, which also affected my relationships with my families as as I was battling with some of those, uh, you know, hurt feelings and dealing with some of that. And I just thought, I regret that. I regret that whenever I've been there, I've not been fully there. So God was really kind of sharing that with me. Another one was spending the last 20 years of my life, um, mostly spending the last 20 years of my life overweight, especially in my marriage. And, and I thought about that, you know, and again, I was running and I was thinking as I was running, I was kind of chuckling because I was like, because man, things the last year have been pretty good. If you know what I'm saying, Jack, you know, and um, my death clock probably just got sped up because hope's in here. Okay. And, uh, but I thought I regret that. And and let me just say, and I, I'm kind of, and you're like, okay, we will give you spiritual scrub brushes for your mind on your way out, okay? But I'm serious about that because it is something to do with relationships. Every single thing that I, as I was running and my regrets, every single regret, I did not have one regret that not deal with relationships in some regard. Don't you find that to be fascinating in your own life probably as well, you know? And, and, and this was a good exercise for me, was to really think through some things that I regret. If you knew that your life, and I want to pose it to you today, if you knew that your life was coming to an end soon, if you knew that, what would be some of your biggest regrets? And then the, the next part of this question, because if you stop right there, that is a discouraging question. But the next part of the question was greatness. The next part of the question, which is what we asked uh, as we were sitting at our dinner table together, is if you knew this, and again, if you don't do the second part, it's a little depressing. If you knew this, it said, if there is something you can fix, though, right now, if there's something in the midst of that regret, how could you start and begin to do that today? Now, there are some things that we will regret that we cannot go back and fix. And those are things we must release to God and trust in his grace and his mercy. Aren't you thankful for his grace and his mercy? We have that in our lives. But the other part of the question is this, and it's really thought provoking. But if you can do something about it, why aren't you doing something about it? Instead of living the rest of your life with that regret. Here's what I'm trying to say, church, fix it. Do something about it if you can. I mean, that was an awesome part of the question because, you know, we were able to say, okay, you've been living with regret about maybe how you show mercy to others. How can you start showing mercy to others? You've been living re- with regret and maybe how, you know, maybe you've been snapping at people or whatever. How can you show mercy in that sense? Or how can you, how, what can you do differently is what, I love that, okay? And so this is not about living in the past because you can't go back and change any of that. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that. So I don't want you going out of here beating yourself up about those things. But you absolutely, and what God's trying to get your attention in is that you absolutely can do something about what's happening in your life going forward amen you can do something about that and what god's trying to show you is these certain areas that he's trying to speak to you about that you know are values in your life look with me in john chapter 8 we're gonna we're gonna just take a few moments just to look in john chapter 8 at a at a familiar passage of scripture some of you know it well some of you maybe are newer to the faith and so you're not real familiar with this I love this passage. I love this story. You're going to get a real clear window into the mercy and the love of Jesus. You're going to see what he's like and and see his character and how he treats people whose lives are messed up. I love this so much. And and we're going to learn some things from this passage of Scripture about how to love people around us completely. John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 3. I'm reading NLT today. Here's what the Word of God says. He says, as he was speaking now let me just let me give you some context jesus was in the t- in the temple he's in the synagogue he's teaching when jesus was teaching people gathered around him I mean, they got all around him because he was saying the most profound things from God because he was God, and it was changing people's lives. And so a crowd was gathered around him. It would be like Jesus being in a place like this, and he's doing a teaching, and people are listening to him. And and here's what it says. As he was speaking, like I'm speaking right now, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So I want you just to pause with me for a second. These teachers of the religious law, these Pharisees, they were kind of like the spiritual policemen of their time. And, and so they were always watching everyone else and looking at what everyone else was doing. They were, they were spiritual intimidators is what they were. And so people were intimidated by their presence, and they felt like it was their job to enforce the religious laws of Moses, the Mosaic law. And so they would work really hard at finding flaw in, 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 in others and looking at this and, and, and trying to do something about it. And when they didn't, people felt so oppressed by their faith. And in this situation, it wasn't so much about enforcing the Mosaic law in order to keep things holy. This is not what their motive was. What they really were trying to do that we'll read here in a second is they were trying to trap Jesus. They hated Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be caught up in this kind of controversy and trap because Jesus was gaining more and more popularity and they were jealous of him and they really hated that, that people were going to him and listening to his teachings because he was exposing their hypocrisy and they hated it. And so, and so what we find is that they bring this woman who is caught in the act of adultery and, and, and what is interesting is that it's only the woman that's brought up before all of these people. Where's the guy, right? Where's the man that was caught in this act? Did he, did he hear the camels coming up and went out the window? I don't know. What happened? Was it, was he like reading his MLG scores, you know, uh, that's major league gladiator? He's like looking at that. He was, they, you know, he had gotten away and so now he's sitting down at the coffee shop and, and this is where he's at. But, but what you're going to find is that it's not important to mention him or really her because it wasn't about either one of them. What this was all about with the Pharisees was trying to trap Jesus. And so they're going to use this woman as a piece of meat, literally, before a group of people. And here's what it says. Jesus is teaching probably upon mercy, upon grace, upon love, and all of these things. And they're going to bring this woman and throw her down in front of him and say, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses. So they wanted to be real clear about how much they knew about the law of Moses. It says to stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him in the same something that they could use against him now the trap again is they're trying to force one of two answers either he answers that uh, you know either answers that he uses they're going to use against him so if he says well don't stone her then they're going to say see this guy can't be a prophet of god he doesn't even embrace the mosaic law and so therefore it was not going to be good for jesus but if he says yes go ahead and stone her then he would be breaking roman law because a jew could not enforce something like that plus jesus was known as a man of compassion he was known as someone who was a man of forgiveness and and so that would kind of go down in the eyes of the people. And he'd look more like a Pharisee to the people. And so he had had this reputation of compassion at this point. They put him in this jam. And so you can imagine they're so prideful at this point thinking we've got him. We've got him. He is trapped. I don't know exactly what he's going to say, but either way he goes, they're probably high-fiving each other. They're snickering under their breath. And and, and you can just kind of sense that in this crowd, that because people would often follow their spiritual leaders, that people were starting to pick up stones, getting ready to pelt this woman to death with rocks. This is what they did in this time. And they, you know, it was probably like this movie unfolding and they're like stone her, stone her, you know. And so this mob crowds kind of building at this point. Now, here's what we're going to find. It's getting really intense. And it says in the rest of verse six, this is what Jesus does. And I love this. Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. What in the world is Jesus doing here? This is something that is so obscure at this point, And I'm, I'm sure it probably had something to do with taking all of the attention that was focused on this woman. Because can you imagine being that woman in front of all of these people and how they felt? And so it was taking the attention off of the woman who's being castigated in front of all of these people. So he kind of breaks the momentum of this mob and this riot that's about to happen where they are about to have a public execution right here in this place. And, and you can almost just kind of see him riding in the dust with his finger. And now everyone's watching him. And it's like, what is he doing? This curious thing that he's doing with his finger here. And, and so he begins to do this. And now there's a lot of speculation on what Jesus was writing. I, I Actually, I enjoy kind of speculating about what he wrote a little bit. With The Bible doesn't really say what he wrote. I mean, he could have been writing the names of the people in the crowd who had committed adultery themselves. You know, he may have been writing something like that. Like, I, I know who you are. You know, I'm writing your names out. He may have been writing the names of the Pharisees' girlfriends. We don't know. I mean, we don't know what he was doing there. He might have been writing Pharisees or dumb you know or something like that or maybe he just wrote jesus was here i don't know we don't know what jesus was writing it doesn't really matter but we do know what he said okay this is what he said they kept demanding an answer they're like you you gotta you gotta answer this because he's just writing stuff in the dust he's just writing stuff in the dust so finally he stands up he stood up again and he said this all right but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Boom, man, I love that. That's awesome. As he does this, can you just imagine the looks on these guys' faces whenever he said this? I love it. All right, yeah, you're right. You guys are right. But the one of you without the sin, you be the first one to throw the stone. I mean, this is brilliant. What he did, he he upheld the morality of the Jewish law because he didn't say what she was doing was right. Jesus, though, knowing the nature of sinful man, knowing, hey, I know you people. I know that you guys have some sin in your life as well. I know that there are those among you that have committed adultery. I know that there are those among you who have sin in your life, every single one of you. And so what does he do? He fully puts it back on them. And then it says this, and I had really never noticed this until this week. Again, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And I thought... That was so bizarre that he did this. He went back down and I thought, okay, what's he writing in the dust? I thought he probably wrote booyah or something like that. That's what I was thinking or ha ha or so. I don't know. um, That's because that's what I would have written. Okay. And, uh, but it was awesome. So he goes back to writing in the, in the dust again. And it says this, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Now, why was it starting with the oldest? Because they knew they had been gotten, right? And they were like, he got us. And the oldest, as the oldest began to walk away, those who were the younger ones who were ready to get in on this action here, they were like, okay, the older guys are walking away. We better walk away too. So it's starting with the oldest until only Jesus. And I want you to go there to this place with Jesus and this woman. You go there with me to this place. I want you to envision what this looked like to where on, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman as these people walked away what were they doing they were walking away in admittance of their own sinfulness they were walking away and their body language was saying and they were probably grumbling what are we going to do with all these rocks now you know i mean they're just what are we going to do now as this happened and where there was all of this commotion and all of this ruckus where people were worked up in a frenzy to play a part of a public execution Hey man, does that stuff really happen it still happens in the Middle East? Where they kind of get all worked up in a frenzy like this and and it was just quiet now. And it was just this broken down woman. This sinful woman whose clothing was probably torn and tattered and was probably just just so broken and bruised and she's there before him and she's in the presence of this sinless innocent compassionate merciful Jesus the kind of man that this woman had likely probably never met but had only known other kinds of men and then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman in verse 10 where are your accusers Didn't even one of them condemn you? She was a stone's throw away from death. The reality is that the only person, think about this with me, the only person who could throw the rock at her was the one that was standing there with her because he had never sinned, right? Jesus, literally at that point, when he said, who among you without sin could throw the first stone, Jesus could have said, oh, wait a minute, that would be me but he didn't, did he? Even though he was fully, you know, able to do this because he was without sin. And in the quietness of this moment, probably still what's ringing in her ears is all of what has been spoken about her, perhaps maybe all of her life, or at least at this moment, all of the people jeering at her, calling her all of the kinds of not very nice things that people call loose women. And this is what she's hearing, but She probably in some ways, because she was so ashamed, wished that they would have carried out the execution so she didn't have to live with some of this shame or she so she didn't have to face the people in this community. Uh, But the silence was broken at this point by a tender and merciful voice. And it was broken by an affectionate term in the original language. The first word this woman heard was the word woman. And we hear that and it wasn't like woman, you know, like that. It wasn't anything like that. It was a term of affection. It was the same term that Jesus used when he was speaking to his own mother. Jesus used this term when he said, woman, where are your accusers? And look at what she says, said, didn't even one of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. What a picture of love and grace and forgiveness. And here's what I want you to hear. In that moment, Jesus didn't mention her failure. He didn't bring up her failure. Instead, what Jesus focused on in the midst of this moment was her future. He he brings up her future and what this is, is this is belief. And he says, I'm not going to condemn you either. You go and you live a different kind of life. You go and you make some adjustments. You go and you get your act together. You don't wallow in the regrets. You're moving forward. And I guess what I love so much about this story is because really it's a summary of all of our stories, if we're honest. Amen. It's a summary of our story. It happened then, it happens today. God's Word is alive, it's active, it's relevant to us. It gives you a window into the heart of God and what He's like and what He's like with you. And some of you, along with me, have oftentimes felt just like that woman. Where we are so filled with sin, we don't even feel like we can look at a person like Jesus and I, what I want to tell you today, and where I'm going with this in these last few moments that I have with you, is that if you are going to have deeper relationships, if you're going to have relationships that, where you're going to be able to love people completely, what you're going to find is instead of picking up rocks, what we have to focus on in our relationship is this issue of forgiveness and also belief in the people around us. There are two factors that were happening there, forgiveness from Jesus and belief in who she was and who she could be. That's the foundation that we see there, and it's a foundation that needs to happen in our own relationships. Kind of a key thought for you today, if you're taking some notes down, just something to write, and this isn't up on the screen. But if you're going to love people completely, there has to be forgiveness in your relationships, and there has to be belief. There has to be these two components where there's forgiveness and there's belief in them, where you can see them for what God could see them for. And if you really think about this scenario, everyone involved in this situation was guilty. Every single person was guilty, um, except for Jesus. The woman caught in sin, she certainly was guilty. She was wrong. She had been sinning in that that area. Um, The man who was caught, who wasn't there, um, but he was also guilty. He just wasn't on the scene. They didn't bring him. Maybe he was one of the Pharisees. Who knows? Okay? The holier-than-thou religious judgmental people, they were guilty, and they realized that they were guilty. They were guilty not only of, of other sins in their life, but I want you to think of the sin of using this poor woman as a pawn and how they were using her and disregarding her as a human being bringing her before jesus that's sin in and of itself these are all real life situations and what we find is these same kinds of dynamics come into play in most of our lives the reality is that all of us are sinners and that we're all guilty in one way or another even when we're in the right we're still a sinner We still have sin in our lives. Rarely ever what God is trying to show us, rarely ever is there an innocent party other than God himself. Rarely ever is there an innocent party. Nobody was innocent here. They all walked away because they're guilty. What we're trying to say in this series, what we're trying to say to you today is this. If relationships really are important to us... And that what is what filters to the top, you know, or comes to the top there for us. If we're going to deepen these relationships and love people completely, whether we have five days left or 50 years left to live, they have to have forgiveness in them and belief. They've got to have these things because here's what I know because people can be pretty messy, right? Relationships are messy. They can get really ugly. And even though they're really ugly and they're really messy, we are still wired up to need them in our lives. It's in your genetic code to need other people, God said. And when he saw that Adam was alone, he he said, this is not good. And so we need others within our lives. That's why if we had one month to live, it wouldn't be spent counting our money. It wouldn't be spent waxing our car or working on our house. It wouldn't be spent spending more time at the office and being sure that we're being a perfectionist there. It would be spent focusing on the people that matter most in our lives. And so because these things are so important to us, there has to be this forgiveness and there has to be this this belief. I, I, um, I really am becoming more and more in my life, I'm becoming more introverted. I'm kind of a naturally introverted in certain ways. I can be extroverted as I need to be, but my natural bent is towards being an introvert. And even as an introvert, and what that means for me is that to recharge, I need to be alone. That's how I recharge is by getting alone, by getting alone with God, by going for jogs by myself, things like that. That's how I recharge. Some of you aren't like that. Some of you you recharge by being around groups of people. Some of you, though, you relate to exactly what I'm talking about. And so alone time is important for me for my own spiritual and emotional well-being. But here's what I know is that even in that alone time, I still realize this as an introvert, I still need people. I still need people in my life. And even though, and, and we're often tempted to avoid relationships because they get messy. They're often filled with drama. And, and and so what do you do with all that? One of my most astute observations of being in the ministry for nearly 25 years now is this. Is this may shock you. Here's my my observation. Are you ready for it? Nobody's normal. Nobody is normal. We're all Jacked up to some degree. Does everybody get that? We all realize that. We all are flawed. We're all odd. We're all strange. Some of you are just downright creepy, if I'm being honest, okay? I'm kidding, okay? No, no, I'm not, but really. um, There are no exceptions. And if you think you're an exception to that rule, it just means this you lack the self awareness to know that you're really a total nut job, okay? Because. (laughs) We're all really messed up. You might look normal on the outside. And some of you maybe have this down a little more than others. Uh, but, but here's the thing. On the inside, you all have an inner weirdo. We all are like this. This is what we are dealing with. It's what we're struggling with. If you're with me, if you're brave enough to admit that you are not normal, would you raise your hands with me today? If you know that you're sitting next to someone that is not normal, would you raise your hands today? Some of you are throwing both hands up because you know that that is the truth. All right. So here's what I want to say, because these relationships are so messy in order to really begin to love the people around me completely. i want to give you practical things to take away, to do this week, to consider this week. Here it is right here. I'm giving it to you right now. First off, I must recognize and admit my own faults. I've got to recognize that I have a lot of them. And I have a lot of faults in my life. It's being having a realistic awareness of your own faults. And if you don't do this, here's what you're going to go through life doing. You're going to go through life picking at the flaws of everybody else. And you're going to be looking at at, at, at how everyone else offends you and how, how everyone else does you wrong. When you don't realize your own flaws, you go around criticizing and nagging and critiquing and accusing and talking bad about others in your life. But when you actually have an awareness of how messed up you really are, you tend to lower the bar, bar a little more for others around you and show a little more compassion. When you recognize, man, I'm really messed up in some ways. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7. He said it like this. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I love that. If I were an artist, I'd love to try to draw a picture of that. My daughter is an artist. Trinity, try to draw a picture of that. That would be hilarious because I I see this guy that's trying to go up to someone. Hey, you got something in your eye right there. And he's got a big telephone pole and he's killing people while he's knocking people over trying to help someone. It's like when someone has something on their face, you know, is what I'm seeing. And maybe he's got this one little guy has a little something on his face and you don't really want to say anything, but you need to say something to him because it's grossing you out or whatever. But, But at the same time, you've got like a whole pizza wrapped around your head. Okay. And you're trying to say, Hey, you've got a little bit of a little pepperoni right there. And he's like, dude, you're a pizza head. You know? I mean, you, this is what he's saying right here. He's saying, uh, he's like, are you serious? Jesus is saying, I, let me, he says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your own eye. When you can't see past the log in your own eye here. I love this image. I'm going to challenge you to do here's something very practical again this week. Don't come back and lie next week, though. Tell me you did it. okay? be sure you did it right. Here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to take a few moments while you're making your list this week of what's important to you. And this is going to be painful for some of you, but I want you to also make on another page a list of your own faults. Just make a list of where you know that you have some flaws. It's a tough exercise, but it's a worthy one. I have a list, and I write it in a, I have a journal that I keep, and I write prayers in it. And sometimes I, I write Bible study notes. And this was on on a page where I wrote some of my own flaws out. And areas where I know I need forgiveness. And I, I, won't, I won't read it to you this morning, but I will share a few things with you that I wrote down. And so you'll get a little Confessions of a Pastor right here, okay? It would be a great great, uh, great drama on TV, Confessions of a Pastor. Here's what I wrote. I'm selfish. I'm often prideful. I'm often insecure. I'm too competitive. <laughs> I wrote this. I can be hypersensitive. I wrote um, that I can be impatient on certain days when stressed. I wrote that I'm easily angered sometimes and can be rude I wrote that I often hate people that don't use their turn signals, (laughs) okay? I had to write that one down, and Trinity knows. She rides in the truck with me. I have low self-control when it comes to eating oftentimes. I wrote I can be lazy. I can make snap judgments about people, okay? Here's the sad thing, guys. This list could keep going on and on and on. That's what I found. It could keep going on and on. I have a messy life. Why? Because I'm messy, I'm messy. I'm messed up. Even though I'm a pastor, I'm so messed up in so many different areas. And the sad thing is those were just things that happened yesterday that I wrote down. You know, those are just the things I was feeling yesterday. And and it's like amazing. I can, I, I just have these areas in my life that I realize and some of you are like, man, why do we come to this church? Well, you should have seen my list before I started following Jesus. Okay. I mean, because I don't, I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself or wallow in self-condemnation, but I think it's, it's a healthy thing to be reminded of how much you need forgiveness. How much you need it in your own life. It causes us to be more accepting. Here's the other thing. Number two, I identify the significant people in my life. I identify this. Make that list along with your other lists this week. Start writing this down. Who are the people that are most important? I'm not talking about your Christmas list that you send cards to. I'm not talking about every time you look at your Outlook contacts. I'm not talking about your gazillion Facebook friends. I'm talking about the people that really, really matter. I want you to write that down. And here's what I want you to do. Think of the short list. People, the people that you want for sure sitting on the front row at your funeral, right? Think about those people, and here's what I want you to do. This You can't get any more practical than this, church. Verbalize your love for them. You need to verbalize your love. I want to challenge you to let the people that are on that list, to let them know how much they mean to you, how special they are to you. It's an action that you can do because you might not get a second chance Just real quick, I want you to see a video that that Danny brought to my attention. This was a, a video of a guy who was in the church that he was at, that he served at. And this guy got a second chance. But what I want you to take away from this is you might not get a second chance. Watch this video. so much of the heart downstream from that blockage, Uh, 40% of the heart in most people, Uh, if you lose that much of your heart muscle, you you, you die. But not Todd, not that day. Although technically dead for 15 minutes, everything done seemed to work. After CPR and freezing his body temperature, a stick was put in his artery, and he was placed in a medically induced coma for days. And now, Todd, can you kiss your bride? This past Saturday, Todd and Michelle renewed their wedding vow. Exactly two months after Todd technically dropped dead, and exactly 17 years after they were first married. This is a, a God-given gift to me, to a uh, the, the second chance at life to do the things that I didn't do the first time. And most of those things involve perspective, and not just for Todd. Something miraculous happened, so it's, it's really gratitude. It's really awe. And things are going to get back to a semi-sense of normalcy. But what that normalcy is going to look like for us is our priorities are a little bit different. Well, the company that Todd works for is Terad9. They have paid for an automatic external defibrillator to be installed at Del Sol Martial Arts and Fitness. And if you ever needed a reminder to learn or get a refresher course in CPR, hopefully that is it. And by the way, after they renewed their vows on Saturday, Todd and his wife, Michelle, say they're taking. What an awesome story, huh? Not everyone gets that second chance, though. And that's the thing that we want you to see is how these relationships are just so important. You've got to verbalize your love. I thought this week about how it was the 12th anniversary of 9-11, how every family was affected, that was affected by that tragedy in losing a loved one that day. They woke up, they went to work, they went about their everyday life with no idea what that day would hold for them. And so I think it's just so important that we learn to verbalize our love, that we learn to express it. Here's the last thing, is that you not only do you verbalize it, but you demonstrate your love for them with intentional actions. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says this. I want you to read this with me out loud. He says it, say it with me. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's not just just say it. Let's live it out. Let's be intentional about this. And that's by doing the small things. It doesn't always have to be by the big things, but it's just the small acts that you do on a consistent basis. It's loving the way that Jesus loved, and the way that Jesus loved was by a death to self, and it's dying to self on a regular, on a regular basis. And loving completely, here's this right here, is that I'm to love the people in my life like I'm forgiven. I love like I am forgiven. We say in our culture today, we say forgive and what? Forget. But the scripture is not going to say that. What scripture is going to say is going to say forgive and remember. Let me show you what I mean. Colossians chapter 3 says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And what's the next word? Remember. Remember this, that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. We're called to forgive and remember. We forgive others around us because of our own flaws and our own faults and how much we've been forgiven. And we remember all that Jesus has done for us. So the question that you end with today is, who do I need to clean things up with? Because they're so messy. If I had one month to live... You know, who is it that I need to make amends with if that's still possible? And I want to challenge you this week to begin praying about that and asking God to show you um, don't wait till you're on your deathbed. Don't wait if, if, if maybe things aren't right between you as spouses right now or between you and a child or what. I'm not saying that it's just going to fix everything immediately. I'm not saying that's... I'm not making that promise to you. That And I'm saying even in some cases, as you do your part, I'm not saying you can control the other person because you can't. But what I'm trying to say is that you don't want to live with regrets. You want to be sure that you're doing your part to be certain that you're loving others completely. I want to ask you to pray with me as we wrap this up this morning in prayer. Forgiveness is a hard thing to talk about. But you need to know that it's not a feeling. It is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. I want to challenge you. And I know I'm not trying to be unrealistic about this, but I want to challenge you this week to really give some thought about this, to give some time, can you imagine how different your life would begin to be if you live with this kind of no regrets mentality? Can you see how you would begin to see other people different when you understood your own brokenness, when you understood the, the forgiveness that God has, has given you? It, it almost seems the way that God has forgiven us, it almost seems irrational. It doesn't really make sense. That's because it's a forgiveness that goes beyond our even way of understanding as a human. Go and love people this week like you are forgiven. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your challenge. Lord, as we confess to you our brokenness and our messiness today, Lord, I thank you that by your grace you make things right. As you're sitting here, just take a second in the silence of your heart. And if you haven't in a little while, maybe you just need to confess before God and say, God, I just confess before you that I'm just really broken. Lord, I am a messy sinner. Lord, I need your forgiveness in my life. Lord, I need to realize that forgiveness in my life so that I can love others more freely and pass that forgiveness on. Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive and it's just going to be very, very difficult. And maybe you would just pray, God... Show me how to forgive people the way that you have forgiven me. I can't do it in my own power, God. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, He loves you so much, and He's forgiven you. If you believe on Him, He'll give you eternal life. God, may we be different because we're here today and have seen who you are and what you're like. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. We love you, Pastor.